Hello everyone, how are you? You're very welcome in today. I think some of you may have been in for the for the conversation before. So we're going to, we're just going to get kicked off here and get going. This is my third year involved with the Force Fortnite Festival. 2017, I was part of the panel discussion that was on before this, the Corinthian Sports Talk. Last year, we hosted a live one-on-one interview with Phil McMahon here as part of the Real Talks podcast series. And today, I'm really delighted to be joined by three double All-Ireland winners with Dublin, Nicole Owens, Sinead Finnegan, and Noel Healy, who are going to join me on stage now for a conversation. So please give them a warm welcome. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose in terms of Force Fortnite and the time of year it is, it's a time of year where a lot of people are taking some reflection, just mental health comes up as a conversation. And I thought it'd be nice to kick off this conversation, just a bit of reflection on 2018. It was obviously quite a busy and productive year for, for all three of you. Um, what's it like sitting up here as, as part of a, a double All-Ireland winning team? Um, yeah, very nice. Um, so I suppose going through last year, we probably didn't realise kind of the, the momental year that it was for us until we got kind of at medal receptions. I think there was a lot of talk about kind of history and things like that. And going through the year, or even at the start of the year, we probably didn't take that on or really think that much about it. But to kind of think back and be the first part of the first Dublin team, really, that, you know, had won a, a league senior title. And then to, you know, I think it was seven in a row, Leinster titles that we won. And then to be the first D- Dublin team um, to do back-to-backs All-Ireland, you know, to to kind of be part of that team is so special. And it's it's kind of such an, I suppose, a nice time of the year to, to look back on that. And, yeah, it's something that's, you know, I suppose Dublin at the moment is really a special thing to be part of, which is great. Yeah, I suppose for us, kind of winning the All-Ireland in 2017 and coming off the back of, of losing three years, it was really important for us to keep the momentum going because I think it would have um, maybe hurt our feelings about the previous year had we not kind of followed through. So I think like my proudest thing out of that year is that we, we followed through and we kind of buried a few other demons that were maybe lurking. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else for me to say. The girls have touched on it, but yeah, I think for me, anyway, personally... The league was a massive one. Um, like I think everyone kind of thinks, you know, Dublin, the capital, loads of money. They're, you know, they, they, people, I think people think we have success all the time, but we've actually never won a league. So for us to win that this year was, or last year was incredible. How different was it last year heading into a campaign, I suppose, defending a title rather than being a challenger or trying to come from behind the pack and being seen probably as the, as the standard bear? That, was that a switch in mentality, that challenging in any way? Yeah, definitely. I think you kind of have the balance of, you know, acknowledging and accepting that you are the at the top of the pack, as you said, um, and knowing that people are chasing you, knowing that you kind of have to improve, that what you did last year isn't going to be good enough because that's the target that everybody's going to be targeting for. And then also kind of, you know, to challenge each other and not to be, I suppose, lackadaisical or to kind of rest in your laurels or to kind of keep living off what happened last year and to think that that's enough to try keep the hunger within the team. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, there's a lot to kind of try balance going into it. I think um, as a group, um, we also put a lot of focus on making sure the game improves. So we do put ourselves under immense pressure to ensure that we're putting on a good performance and we're displaying something that people would like to see as opposed to putting ourselves under pressure and thinking, oh, this, you know, if we win this, we're winning two in a row. We're more so thinking about the game and how we're performing and how we're doing. I think it's more of a focus on that than anything else. And as well, I think, like, Mick, there was not a chance that we kind of would have been let sort of rest on our laurels or be complacent. Like, I remember at the end of 2017, having Mick come just coming in and win one Ireland, he showed me a list of, like, 20 things he wanted to improve, and he's like, we've done nine. So, like, he, there, wasn't, there wasn't a chance that he was going to let the momentum sort of die down. I suppose over the last couple of weeks, and even 
So as, as inter-county players, you're competing at the highest level. You're in all our finals. What's it? Does the off-season in terms of the last couple of months, does that, does that challenge you in different ways in terms of if it's a change in your routine, if it's losing a routine, if it's missing the kind of, I suppose, being part of a team for those couple of months? Does that, does that bring a challenge to you in any way? Challenges or, or, your pockets. Or, or, <laughs> or do you be glad, be glad of a break? <laughs> I suppose initially you are glad of the break, but then, you know, during the year there'd be various social aspects that you wouldn't be really able to attend because you're usually training. And then once kind of September to December kicks in, you don't really have that excuse anymore of, oh, I can't go because I have training. Like sometimes that's your friend. But um, is it challenging? I suppose, yeah, you're, when you're out of your routine, it is challenging. And it's very hard to get back into that routine. Like we were just away there as a group and now we're settling back into things. And we were asking each other, like, how are you finding the week? Like I'm finding it really tough <laughs> to get back into it. But Nicole said she was, gla she was glad to be back in the routine. I don't know about Noelle, but. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's kind of odd and it's something that's very specific, I suppose, to, to GAA players. Um, is that kind of you have nine months where it's really stringent, you have really strict structure. And then it's three months where it's like a free-for-all, essentially. And then it's nine months and it's back to it. So it's kind of, I think it's it's good in that we all need the time away and a break probably from, from each other to an extent. But then it is kind of like your life sort of does a 180 for three months and then it is a bit of a kind of awakening to come back in January. Yeah, I think you kind of go from one extreme to the other, like especially if you're coming towards an All-Ireland, like the month before the All-Ireland is, you're probably the strictest you've ever been on yourself in terms of getting your sleep right getting your food right, you know, training, kind of focusing solely on football. And then either way, if you flip it, you're kind of, you're probably going out a little bit more, probably drinking a little bit more. You're not exercising as much. And I actually did find after that that you, you do, like I, I probably struggled a little bit not to have that structure, not to kind of be coming home every day and knowing that you can go exercise or eating well. So you kind of, I found that I had to be a little bit more strict on myself just to keep getting exercise. So otherwise I'd kind of find like stress was getting on top of me a little bit more or um, just str struggling with different things. So yeah, I think you kind of have to try be a bit even a little bit disciplined myself to try to find that sweet spot in the off in the off season to kind of balance keeping the little bit of exercise up but not putting too much stress on yourself and kind of making time for friends and family that you've probably not left fall to the wayside but kind of probably just neglected a little bit over the previous few seasons i think like for anyone i suppose we've all heard people have these conversations over the last couple of weeks of new year i'm going to be exercising more i'm going to do this i'm going to eat better i'm gonna it's probably some of the stuff that comes naturally when you're back at, when you're back and part of a team but do you find that that team structure really aids that and is a benefit to you as individuals when you're part of a team structure? Is that a positive thing in your in your life, in your lifestyle? For me, it definitely is anyway, because I'm the laziest kid ever. <laughs> like if I did an individual sport and it was an off season, I would just do nothing. Um, so for me, being part of a team is really important because you feel under pressure that you, you, you have to go to training because you, you don't want to let everyone down. And as well as that, you enjoy training because you get to have a bit of crack with your friends. But... Um, if I was an individual athlete, I think I would be 10 ton Tessie. <laughs> what about you, Noel? Would you be different in that regard? Um, I don't know. I think probably just in terms of motivation, like I'd be good enough in the off-season to kind of just keep ticking over. But definitely if it comes to kind of com competition, like I used to do athletics and I did, a, I did a bit of tennis when I was younger and I just didn't have the self-motivation to kind of push myself. But I think if I'm kind of finding that if I'm working as part of a team, I'd probably work harder for, for someone else rather than kind of for myself. So I think that's where I kind of find myself in as part of a team. I think that's where I get the benefit from it. Um, but definitely at the start of the year, when, when you're when you're coming back into the pre-season and you've 12 runs to get done, you're only on three and already can't move, it kind of helps when you're looking around and everybody is kind of encouraging you on. 
Um, I actually did a spin class yesterday. I found myself doing the prison beside me going, come on, it's only the last 20 seconds. And she was looking at me like, get away from me. Like I'm in here too by myself. So I think I need the team environment to kind of encourage me and myself. Season is so tough though. Like I went, I, I'm back in college now, and I went to DCU training on, on Thursday, and didn't think I'd ever go back to college training because I'm like 20 years older than everyone else. But um, there's like whispers of like what's happening in Dublin training, and it's like, oh, there's a 1K test on Friday, and I was like, oh god, I can't go to that. Like it's just awful. Is the uh, obviously Sinead, you mentioned it on that you guys were just away for weeks as race skiing, so I don't know if that was that helped you prepare for a cardio output or it was um what's the general conversations like in the group there in that dynamic when you're heading into a new season is does the excitement start coming back around in terms of we're going again as another season or is it oh here we go again? Well we were actually back. We got back from skiing on Sunday and we were, a lot of us were back in the gym on Monday. So I think it was more disbelief more than anything it's kind of it happens every year it comes back around and you think I can't like it can't be back and it's kind of it's more sort of when you're back into training that the excitement sort of well, for me anyway comes back because there is a little bit every sort of every year is a bit of apprehension because things change from year to year and maybe personnel change and kind of you come yeah you finish a year knowing where you stand but it, a new year is a fresh start and that can be good or bad I suppose depending on where you stand um yeah Probably always the fingers of accusation as to who's been doing what in the off season. Like yeah. people been doing sneaky runs or like you said you were doing nothing. <laughs> Why are you winning this? We but, have um, a few closet exercises. <laughs> Neve, Neve McAvoy always claims she does nothing in the off season, but Nicole just told me in there she was doing one Ks. So <laughs> she's a liar. <laughs> the like on that note, I think as opposed to being part of a team, it's something that's often discussed in terms of being positive for your mental health, being good for personal development, and I think one of the the, the documentary that, you, that was done on your team, Blue Sisters, was, was it last year? Or yeah, like it, it really captured, I suppose, the essence of some, the team and the kind of ups and downs of that. Um, and it really touched upon a number of key points around, I suppose, looking at, you, looking at you as both players, but also people as well, and discussing different vulnerabilities. What was that like as, as an experience to kind of be in front of cameras? And, and was it ever challenging in terms of being yourself or was it invisible? Did you know? What was that like? fine we didn't really even notice um a lot of it was just one cameraman and his camera um and i suppose the year that was in there was probably a lot of new faces in the changing room and kind of a lot of new management came in he came in so early and he was he's just like he was involved with the galway team he's been around team structures so we kind of knew where to go and kind of you know knew his place and knew the boundaries knew the lines so it was quite seamless really to be honest we kind of didn't really notice it i think for a lot of it, you know, once you kind of see the first camera, you're giggling and kind of doing the first hand passing drill. And then after that, you just get into it and it kind of just becomes part of it. It becomes part of the year. Um, I suppose in the matches, there's kind of probably enough cameras around anyway. You don't really even notice it. Um, and then a lot of the interviews probably happened after the fact, kind of after the season was over. So it was lucky in that way. But um, no, we spoke an awful lot about it beforehand, whether everybody was happy and everybody was comfortable with cameras coming in, if this is what everybody wanted. And, you know, if there was anybody that we felt that it would take away from from their performance or from their ability to feel comfortable in the team environment, then we absolutely wouldn't have done it. But, um, you know, everybody was happy enough to be a part of it. Yeah, I think the only the only time that I ever, I suppose, even noticed them, apart from the first training where everyone's like, ooh, was like I nearly ran into him at one stage, nearly took the camera out. But apart from that, he's, I suppose, he's very professional in what he does. And there was never kind of, he would be around, but there'd be a case of Mick would, I suppose, give him a nod if there was something that he didn't want recorded or, and it was very seamless in that way. I always felt like he almost became part of the team as well. He was there for everything. Um, but he was so uh, like non-aggressive in the way that he approached it. He was very respectful and always kind of in the background. 
but we played Galway in the semi-final, All-Ireland semi-final last year, and he was actually at the match because he's from Galway. He came on and congratulated us all after the game. So he was a lovely man, and um, he was a footballer and, and hurler himself. I think Pat Comer is his name. He was great. But it was basically a one-man show, so you barely even noticed him. And he was a bit of a legend. But I suppose uh, the people here probably have, many of them have seen it, and anyone that will be listening to this after has probably watched the documentary as well. And one of the things that really struck me from watching it was, was the strong personal stories that came through, the angles that was covered. Um, so yourself, Nicole, in particular, you spoke about mental health. That was, was that the first time you'd spoke publicly around stuff that you'd been experiencing or what you'd been going through? Um, yeah, no, it was. Um, that year was kind of a bit of a um, odd year for me. And I suppose Mick had sort of said, would I speak about it? And I didn't really, not that I didn't expect it to have an impact, but I suppose I didn't expect it to resonate with as many people as it did. Um, and I think that's part of what makes the documentary such, such a good watch is that there are all our kind of personal stories and things that are going on in the background with people, um, which impact us on the pitch, even if we don't want them to. That's like that's what I found interesting. Because obviously, you say you have your conversation about there's going to be a camera here and we're going to do a documentary series. But at that point, obviously, you don't know you're going to end up talking about that, and Shane, you don't know you're going to end up talking about your father and different things. Um, as in, in terms of opening up and, and being honest about that, like was that. Was it difficult or was it just something that you felt, you know, was the right time to, to talk about these things? Because there were, I suppose, what it meant, what I took from it was, and it worked captured really well, and what people relate to in terms of first fortnight is that, you know, we all have difficult periods that we go through, ups and downs of life, and life will test us in different ways. And I just thought it was really powerful how you were was, was all quite comfortable in your own skin just to, just to touch upon those and, and be yourselves. Yeah, I suppose a lot of us have kind of grown up together. Like, there's a lot of the girls that I would have been playing with since I was 13 or 14, um, we've been through an awful lot together. We lost three All-Irelands. Uh, we've been playing together since most, like, you know, 18, 19 as a group anyway. So there's certainly six or seven years that we've been together. Um, I can always feel like you're nearly your most honest as you are on the football pitch. Everybody probably thinks Sinead Ahern is a cool, calm, collected character. But if you see her on a Sunday morning when things aren't going her well or going her way, you'll see a very different side to her. So um, we kind of, you see every part of each other. And I think that what, that's what makes us very comfortable with each other. And I think that's, you know, when people talk about the 2020 campaign about getting young girls playing sports, I think that's probably one of the most important things and that like people see exercise as, you know, just some way to go to get fit, to be healthier, to look good. And they don't see exercise or sport as kind of the other benefits that you can get from it and that support structure that you can get from it, which I think the girls probably found, a lot of us have found when we just go through different things, be it as something as small as stress during an exam, you know, you kind of, you know, you've that support structure there who, have seen you when you're angry and, you know, have said honest words to you and you've said honest words to them and, you know, that you can just give them a clap in the back afterwards and just be like, look, sorry about that. And, you know, everything's everything's fine. So I think that's what we've kind of found is that there's just a very honest support structure there that you can know that you can go to them with any problem and they're just going to see you as a person and talk through through it with you and not look at you in any other different way, which, you know, is, is very fortunate to us to have found because, look, in a team structure, you're not always going to get that. It's competitive. I think, you know, girls sometimes can be a little bit bitchy and be a little bit cutting. Um, so I think, I don't know, maybe, I think everybody's probably going to be biased and think they have the best team, but I think maybe we're just, we've been lucky that we found that great mix of people to have that with. And is that, like, w when that documentary comes out, okay, so you've obviously all done your individual pieces and I, so you're looking straight at the camera and no one else is really around. Had you guys discussed amongst each other what people had been talking about, what was going to come out on the output? Or was there a kind of sense of like, well, I didn't know she said that, or I didn't know she was going through that? Do you get me? Had, had, that, had those conversations happened amongst yourselves? 
I had heard a rumor that Nicole had cried. So after I had done my interview, I was delighted because I had bawled my eyes out in mine. But, I actually um, had to do my interview twice. I'd say that. <laughs> yeah, they had to cut my first one because I was, I was just, I was having a bad day. And I suppose it was the first time I'd spoken about it to, like, not a stranger, but someone who maybe wasn't super close. And I think they, they just had to write off the whole thing. I had to come in again and do it. So. Well, I was the same. I had to stop. And um, I found it really tough. I was actually a bit hungover at the time, I will admit. So it probably wasn't the best time to do it because I had a work night out the night before and I was thinking, oh, God, how am I going to do this? And, like, he kind of eases you in and then, bam, he hits you all of a sudden. And then you're, like, uncontrollably crying. You're like, what is going on here? But um, I was actually really lucky. One of the members of the management team was outside the room that day when I was doing my interview and um, I had to take a break. I said, look, can I just go outside for a minute? I just won't be able to speak for a few minutes. Can I just go outside? And he was there and he actually came inside with me. I was like, if you come into the room, I'll be able to finish the interview. So he came in and just sat there, but just having him there, it was like a, like a, I don't know, like a spiritual support of some kind and I was able to finish it. But um, that, that just, I suppose, goes back to Noel's point about the team and people supporting you. If he hadn't been there, I don't think I would have been able to finish it. Like, I suppose what you're both saying there is, so you're, you're talking about issues that are difficult to talk about. Um, there's something in Ireland that we hear about a lot. It's part of the reason why events like this exist is to encourage people to talk. Um, you're in situations there where you are getting upset because you're talking about stuff that's difficult to, that, that's hurt in the past or that's difficult to process. But wh what's the driver for you at that point to say, I'm actually going to get through this, I want to articulate this and I want to get that out there. What's the kind of the motivators or drivers for you in that moment? Because the easy option would have been to say, I'm going home and I'm not doing this. Yeah, I suppose for me, it was kind of twofold. Because um, I suppose I felt that I owed it maybe maybe in a sense to Mick, and not that Mick had asked me to, had kind of forced me to do it, but kind of owed it to Mick, um, I suppose the team in general, because I think that was so important in terms of my story and kind of coming through that year. Um, and then the other side was that I kind of, realized that the more I spoke about it, the kind of easier it was to deal with and kind of it removed some of my internalized stigma um, and kind of just helped me to open up to people around me. So kind of what I hope will come out of this was my bit in it anyway was that it would kind of normalize it. Maybe people can see that, yeah, you might not feel great now, but like, you know, a week down the line, you can be in a much better place. Um, for me, I suppose it was just... Was, was my dad, someone that I was really close to, someone that I loved, so it was just something that I wanted to say more than anything else. So I wasn't really, to be honest, going into it, I didn't expect that I would end up talking about it because I was kind of thinking, what has this story got to do with the relevance of the story of this team? And I remember after, when I went home to my mom, I was like, it's grand, they're not going to put that in, sure, it's nothing got to do with it. She was like, Sinead, you're crying, it's television, you're, you're definitely <laughs> going to be in it. Like, um, But yeah, I, there wasn't... A, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't expect for it to, to, to even come up in the interview. I just thought it was going to be about the year. But um, lo and behold, the tears were on RTE. <laughs> well, I think that's, I, like, I, I found that was really probably what helped the documentary be so moving and resonate so much was, I suppose, seeing things like that. About, and obviously, like, your story, it does resonate with a lot of people, but also people can understand that we've all had people throughout our, our I suppose, sporting careers that kind of were there for us and pushed us on. I think it's, it, it's, it really added the human elements to what otherwise would have been a, a sort of a sterile documentary, maybe. Like, from some people on the outside looking in, you kind of, my class is a high-performance environment, so it's about competition for places and doing what you got to do to win, basically. Um, well, from your point of view or from a teammate's perspective, what's it, what was it like kind of seeing your teammates kind of 
talk about difficult topics or stuff that have faced them um, within that kind of team environment. Like, do teammates rally around girls and kind of have a conversation on that? How does it, how does that impact relationships? Yeah, I suppose a lot of the interactions that would have gone on with the girls are probably very kind of one-on-one or, you know, probably a lot of people may not have even seen it or even realized if a word that they were saying or an alarm that they would have put around them were even helping them as much as they were. Um, I think sometimes you can kind of go through those team environments and kind of, you know, everything happens very quickly and you're always focused on the next game or the next ball or the next thing. Um, and there's an awful lot of information going on and there's an awful lot of competition going on as well and you're kind of focused on everything that's happening outside of football that you kind of tend to forget the people that, you, that you're that you going along the journey with and sometimes, yeah, you may miss it and you may not see it. So I think what we kind of felt was it was just such a special I suppose, memoir to kind of have of that year um, and of the people within it. And a lot of the times, yeah, you only see the play that they make or, you know, the the little bite-sized pieces of journalism that you get. And to kind of really see that raw um, pieces that were with them, it just made us really proud of them to kind of be able to, I suppose, open up themselves like that. And I think the girls are probably being a little bit modest there. I think, you know, for Nicole and, and Sinead, it does... You know, to see people like that open themselves up and tell their story and be able to speak that freely about it and to be able to speak that honestly about it, you know, I don't think they even probably are able to comprehend the amount of people that they would have helped with it and will continue to help with it. There's young girls who probably will watch that now and, you know, it may not resonate with them now, but they may come back to it in a few years because they have a fond memory of it and pick up something different from it. So, um, yeah, it just, to be honest, the, this, the whole feeling was just that we were massively proud of them. No, so it was really, really powerful. As you just said, Noel, it is that kind of, it's normalizing those conversations around around different points. And I suppose the other thing it, did, it would highlight is, again, people will obviously oh, just want an All-Ireland, sure, life's great, it's all good. But as you guys have already touched upon once or twice, like there was a backlog of defeats and upsets and tough years and slogs. Um, I suppose to actually get through all that and to win must have been a brilliant feeling. But would you still, do those memories from previous campaigns where success didn't come, are they still there as part of driving factors and part of who you are as a team and as individuals? I, I think you never forget what it feels like to lose and what it feels like to fall at the final hurdle, hurdle having put in so much effort. Um, and I think kind of still having those memories of, of how much that hurt probably made the days when everything went right so much more special. I think 2017 was... Like, we're obviously all, we would have been delighted either way to win an All-Ireland. Um, but I think having a lot of us sort of having picked ourselves up and come back year after year and kind of in kind of low moments, just as you do get to a point where maybe you think maybe it won't ever happen or maybe, you know, this team can't do it. Um, so to kind of be resolute and to come back every year and then once we won, I think you remember, well, even looking um, at, at Mayo and, and Cork last year, you, you know exactly how they feel. Um, and that kind of realising that you could feel like that, but you don't, um, makes it so much sweeter. Yeah, I think one of the worst memories that I have after an All-Ireland final is the one in 2014, and Denise Masterson was across from me in the change room, and she was just, you could see her just shaking, crying, but she was facing her bag, and she was just taking her jersey down that she'd worn in the match, folding it and putting it in the bag, and then putting her boots in her bag, and I think we kind of all knew that that was the last time she'd ever put on a Dublin jersey, and to kind of have that feeling like as, as bad as you were feeling for yourself, but to see your teammate somebody you'd looked up to and somebody you'd watched kind of lift the cup, um, you know, a few years previously, feel that way. And, you know, for that her to have that last memory of playing for Dublin, it was just absolutely heartbreaking. As great as, as Nicole said, as the wins were, you know, the feeling of loss is just the absolute depth of it. And, you know, you kind of never, ever forget that. And to kind of have that feeling of that Groundhog Day three years in a row, standing in the middle of Croke Park and looking up and watching a red jersey lift the cup, 
yeah, you never forget it. Like, we, we talk of sport all the time about how positive it can be for mental health, and you've alluded to a number of those factors, be it uh, support structures, connection, people around you, working together. Is, that, like, is it fair to say that like, sport can really, really test your mental health and your resilience and force you into some of those, if it's dark days, or to reassess things? Like, can it challenge you as well as build you up? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'd say, you know, for me personally, last year, I struggled a lot with uh, injuries. I came into the season with an injury, then I broke a finger, then I broke a hand, then I broke another finger. So I actually only played like three matches last year. So to train for nine months of the year and actually only play three games is, is very, very challenging. But I probably let it get worse than it should have been. I had built it up in my head and thinking, oh God, I'm not good enough to play in this team anymore. I've missed out on X amount of training. All the girls are doing so much. Like, And you can just let it build up and build up and build up. And I kept saying to myself, I must have a conversation with Mick. And I just kept putting it off because I didn't want to do it. And then eventually, like it was affecting my mood. It was affecting my sleep. It was affecting everything. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Didn't want to go training. When I was at training, couldn't wait to leave. And like... It's such a special environment to be part of. Like, I shouldn't have been feeling like that. I should have been delighted. We were on the road to Crow Park. Like, we were in an All-Ireland final. But all I could think of was all these negative thoughts. But um, eventually it got to a point where Mick noticed that my mood had been completely different to what it would have been in previous years. So he said, right, for now, I think it's time we have a talk. And as soon as I talked to him, it was grand. It was like a weight had been completely lifted off my shoulders. So I think, like, injuries are something that people, are, like, I don't think people understand how much they can actually affect your mental health. Like, because you're so used to training and the training gives you such a sense of relief. Then when you can't train or you're only training to X amount, I could only, like, I could only do running. I couldn't play football because I only had one hand. Um, it does. It really impacts you. And I'm sure there's things like finding for a starting position, all that kind of stuff. Like, that stuff you lose sleep over. <laughs> These girls probably don't have to worry about it as much. But, um. Yeah, no, it's it's very tough. But like, as I said, as no, as Noel said already, there are people in their team though that will probably realize eventually that there's something going on with you. You're not acting normally, and they'll put an arm around, have a chat. And as soon as I spoke to Mick, that spiraled three or four more conversations, and you know, immediately I felt better. So um, yeah, it does test you. So yeah, I think I remember even when I was in college, like, and you're kind of you're there thereabouts in the team and you try to do everything that you can. I think sometimes the summer holidays in college can be the worst because you've all day to try, you know, think about training. If you train at seven o'clock and you get up and you try to do every single thing that day that you can do to make yourself perfect for training and then training might not go your way or somebody might say something to you or you find out you're not on the team and it can just get very frustrating because you're like, well, I'm dedicating everything to this. Why am I good enough? What's going on? And I remember talking to one of the girls about it and she was kind of saying the same thing. I just said, look, the best thing you can do is just try to relax about it. Just try not focus everything towards football because there's an awful lot of things that you can control, but there's an awful lot of things that you can't control. And by trying to get a tighter control on things you can't control, it's not going to change the stuff that you can't control. So sometimes you just need to relax as much into it as you can. But, you know, we've had a few girls that have probably left the panel throughout the years because they just, you know, weren't enjoying it anymore and they were just getting too wound up about it and as much as you want your best players to stay around I think you kind of need to realize that if it's not it's football at the end of the day it's your hobby um you're there because you enjoy it you're not there because to win an All-Ireland for Dublin you know at the that's at the very crux of it is just there to enjoy it so if it's coming to a stage where you can't sleep or you're going home crying after a training session or you're spending the whole day dreading going to a training session I think you need to realize that you need to kind of look after yourself first and foremost and 
look, it's a pity when that does happen. You try to offer support to the, to the girls when when they are feeling that way. But I think we've been we've been pretty good for, you know, giving people space when they need it. And and Mick in particular is is you know one of the main advocates for that. For as soon as he sees somebody that's not enjoying it, he'll give them as as much space as they want and as they need. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is really important, and I suppose we all forget at times. But but it is a game, and it is it's meant to be our escape. Um, and just touching it on injuries, I think it's something that still I like struggle with. Um, the impact that an injury has, and I don't think people outside of football, like your friends and things like that, understand how I suppose trying an injury can be. Um, especially like I've had a, like a few chronic injuries the last few years, and it's kind of you're constantly on edge and something might happen, you might just move a certain way and you can kind of feel it and it, then it kind of creeps in um, and that can kind of carry on like throughout the off season. So that's probably for me, kind of outside of football, that's probably the one that's, that's toughest because everyone wants to be able to do their best. And when you feel like something is, is stopping you and you can't really, you can do what you can, you can do all your rehab, but sometimes you just need a break. Have you found in the last, say over the last two years with the success that's come, with some of the additional stuff, like be it a documentary, the media attention, you guys are kind of riding a crest of wave at the moment for, I suppose, the support for female sport, for the attention that it's getting. Has that challenged your athletic identity in any way in terms of trying to keep, maintain that balance between well, this is sport, and this is what I play, and this is my work, and this is my life? Have, has it challenged you in terms of trying to keep that balance right? <laughs> Good question. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I suppose it does. I suppose with... Um, increased recognition you get inc increased coverage you get increased recognition you know that's a great thing when you you know your dad comes home and he's like you made the paper <laughs> like brilliant what did I say um, and then like it can be it can be difficult because then with increased recognition you know you'll, you'll get taken down a peg quickly as well so I think you kind of need to learn where to balance is like yeah it's great if you get a you know a very nice article written up about you or you know the team are doing well but then you know when it's it's important to try not to buy into that too much because I think I remember. I think it was Blind Boy who said it that, like, you know, if you take your identity and if you take all the compliments and build yourself up from that, then, you know, if you just read something bad about yourself, then that will knock you back down as well. So I think it's really important, and I think Breach Corkery might have mentioned it when you were talking to her as well before that you kind of just have to try stay away from that as much as possible. And while it's great for the sport and it's great to you know, get numbers in and great to get sponsorship and advertisement behind and it improves the standards of the game, I think for yourself personally it goes back to just remembering why you play it and getting the enjoyment out of it and not kind of getting caught up in, you know, doing media or advertisement and, you know, getting yourself in, in papers and things like that. Um, and, yeah, it's difficult because, you know, I think, especially with, with the way social media is at the moment, a lot of us and a lot of people generally too, do tend to get wrapped up in that stuff. But I think, you know, for yourself and definitely when your career comes to an end, it's probably going to be better for you if you just try to stay level with that type of stuff as much as possible. What about yourselves? Is that coming on the radar at all in any way? Uh, I suppose for me, um, what comes to mind, I think, is this probably Goldie, Sushanae Goldrick would be kind of someone who's maybe, well, I, I jokingly call her like the face of Ladies Ga, um, but she would be someone who would have had, would be, have got a lot of coverage, would be a little ambassador, um, but it's never... Like she's, I would never see her swagger into training or act like she was better. She'll still go through you to get the ball, and I think that's like they're they're separate things. What happens or what is said in the media, that like that is separate, and it's often you know not right or it's putting increased emphasis on something that maybe isn't there. Like for example, like ladies' football coverage often focuses is on focuses on 
you know, who scored the goals and like, you know, the likes of the defenders, we always, yeah, we always say that the, the box, yeah, you do get absolutely shafted. Whereas like myself and Noel, Noel could score a goal and we get all the credit rarely. for it. Very rarely when we score a goal. Fullbacks never getting the credit. <laughs> I suppose that kind of ties in with the next point that I was going to touch upon around, I suppose, being perceived as role models and, and I suppose, being comfortable in that. Um, I suppose, in terms of your own growing up yourselves, did you have any particular role models, sporting role models that you looked up to that was part of, part of your growing up? I think for me, like, ladies Gaelic football wasn't really a big thing when I was growing up, so I didn't particularly have a ladies Gaelic footballer hero who I admired. <clears throat> It's more my, my parents, like, they were both involved in GAA and they used to bring me to everything and they were the ones that I, were, I was playing for. It wasn't really anyone else. So I suppose I'm, I'm probably unique in that. I never, I feel like a lot of people our age say, like, Sonia O'Sullivan, but, like, I was completely oblivious to her, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Sonia O'Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only female athlete that would have been on our radar when we were growing up. Like, yeah. Course Anton was in a Lucasade ad, but I didn't really understand why she was running up a hill if she was a Gaelic footballer. Um, but like Sonia was on my television day in, day out. I started off in athletics. Um, football kind of wasn't really on my radar until I was 13 or 14. Um, so every time I was doing my runs or when I was messing, you know, running around laps, I always wanted to be Sonia O'Sullivan getting that kick at the end and for that final 200 metres, getting the sprint. So, um, yeah, like I think it's brilliant nowadays. You can kind of pick any sport and pick a female athlete that somebody can look up to. And I think that's important as well because not everybody is going to want to grow up to be a Gaelic footballer and, um, you know, an international athlete is, you know, there's different sports for everyone. So I think it's important to kind of have as vast array of female athletes as you can have. Is that is that something you're all kind of proud to be a part of in terms of that societal shift at the moment and make, ensuring that there are more female voices in the media, if it's TV ads, Lucas it ads, whatever it wants, whatever it needs to be. Is that something you are passionate about and, and understand your importance within that process? But the talk about the importance of, of visibility and people only realising they can do things when they see other people who look like them doing things. Um, and I think for, like Sinead alluded to, like when we grew up, the Dublin ladies football team didn't have any sort of visibility, so it would be the men you knew, and your favourite player would, would, would be one of the guys. Um, so I think it's really important for kids growing up that they realise that they can get to a really, really high level in sport and then not be like, you know, the man you use of the world and that that's it, like... So I just think it's important. I, would, I wouldn't say like it's important for me to be a role model or anything like that, but I think it's important for young girls to be involved in sport, whether it be a team sport or an individual sport or like a reading club or something, just to be involved in something because the support networks that I've gotten from what I've been involved in, I suppose I can't really put into words how great they've been for me and for my life. But So it's more the encouragement of people getting involved. So as a knock-on effect of us playing Gaelic football and us being on TG Car playing matches and that, if that encourages young girls to get involved, or boys or anyone, whoever it may be, I think that's important. But I wouldn't specifically say, you know, I love being a role model or I am a role model, but if that's what if that's a, a direct result of us playing football well and, and people are encouraged and inspired to play because of us, well, that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, I wasn't saying you have to be a role model. Was just, but no, but like, I mean, someone said there that, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't visibility or, or that there wasn't to say that you didn't there wasn't any female dub ladies players that you looked up to or, or aspired to like like I think that's changed and that's partly to do with yourselves and the journey that your team's been on and across society and I do think it's important that that's that that's noted you know um kind of t moving towards the end what I was gonna just touch upon was around time back in with was Fortnite Force Fortnite Festival 
I suppose resilience is something that's talked, that's spoken about a lot. Um, you hear it kind of thrown around a bit. If it's a very resilient team, very resilient player, very resilient athlete, whatever it is. But I suppose more just so to do with your personal, on, on the personal side, has, has, has each your own abilities to overcome setbacks, be it on the field or off the field? Have you found that skill has developed the older that you've got and from being involved with sport has, has improved it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I can always compare my like kind of day-to-day job with my football career. Um, and I suppose you kind of learn in playing sports that the first time you do something, you're generally not going to be very good at it. You know, the first time you try solo at your left or solo at your right, you're, you're going to be bad at it. Um, whereas I think in the job that I do working as a doctor and do medicine, it kind of tends to be an environment for very high performers. A lot of the girls who were in my class would have been A-plus students, 100% students, all the way up. And then you'd kind of realize when they're trying to learn new skills or when they're getting to the hospital environment where they, they make a mistake and it may have a bigger impact than they would have really known. A lot of them generally do tend to struggle with that an awful lot. They kind of haven't experienced those setbacks where they do kind of get knocked back a little bit when they're not good at a skill. And I remember one of the um, tutors that we had is also a rugby coach. And one of the, the guys who was in my class kind of just couldn't get, we were examining eyes, he just kind of couldn't get it. He's like, Niall, you know, I coach you on a rugby pitch. Let me know. The first time you picked up a ball, were you any good at it? And he's like, no, it's really bad. And he's like, well, why do you expect the first time you pick this up to, for you to be any good at it? He's like, it will come. Just keep practicing. And I think that's something that I've probably gotten a benefit from from, from a sport background is it's, it's you know, it, it's cheesy. But if at first you don't succeed, you try again. It's the same. Like, you know, you don't get good at being a free taker because you take one free and it goes over. You know, you get good at it because you practice. And like, that's kind of one of the best skills you can learn and you're not going to win every ball you go for you're not going to win every match you play for um so i think you know that's something really important that sport can teach you is that kind of you know low level resilience and yeah when you know it's coming to an all-around final you get knocked back or you lose to kind of learn to to build yourself back up to kind of realize why you're playing and to and to go at it again um is is massively important and you know thankfully it's kind of it's paid off for us Um, I suppose, like, this has been touched on already, but um, the, before those three All-Ireland defeats, there were three quarterfinal defeats. Um, so I think just for our team to kind of pick ourselves up and stick together, and very few players have actually left in that time. To, so to suffer, like, six really tough defeats year on year and then still manage to come back, um, that, that does really show resilience. And I do think the resilience that you learn on the pitch does transfer into your everyday life. There's, everybody has knocks on their lives and... I think that the stuff that you learn on the pitch helps you in your in your everyday life. How would that like you say um, come back into your day to day life? Like how um, how do, like give us an example of how that looks for anyone listening or trying to take a bit from that that maybe hasn't played sport but is looking to improve resilience or build it up. How how, how do you think that can be done? I suppose it's support network, is it? Well, for us anyway, we have we have. Like every year, there's this, the oldies in the group, we have the, the age-old conversation of one more year, one more year. So, you know, if one person doesn't go, then the, the next person's probably not going to go. But if everyone's saying, oh, come on, we'll do this one more time, we all stick together. So I guess it's the message of having people around you who can support you because if they're not there, you're, it's very easy for you to say no. But if they're there saying, come on, one more year, you're, <laughs> you're more than likely going to do it. So while it is tough at the time, it is worth it when you stick it out. I always kind of felt like just to think a little bit positively about it. I mean, there's only one team a year that can win in All-Ireland. And, you know, if everybody took the same attitude that they're not going to play next year because they didn't win, you'd have no competition. And you kind of just have to focus on the little things that you're proud of. I mean, reaching an All-Ireland final the first time that we did in 2014 was a massive step for us. You know, to be able to get back to that in 2015 
um, you know, that was huge as well because it, there are very few teams who do have that bounce back ability to kind of to get back um, to an all-around final year in year out. I think 2016 was probably the most challenging year for us because, you know, after having lost three, you are beginning to question just are you, are you actually good enough and, you know, is it ever going to happen for us? And I think we were probably lucky in that, you know, Mick kind of just round it back down and made us focus rather than the big picture of winning. Why do you actually play? You know, you play because you love it and, you know, you play because you want to be a great footballer. So he made us, you know, first of all, focus on the skills to make us better footballers, which then led us to winning the All-Ireland. But, you know, that was never even mentioned. We didn't have that big picture of are we going to win? You know, it was just like, are we going to get this drill right eventually? <laughs> which we did. Or are we going to enjoy ourselves? Because that was a very big thing at that stage in our footballing career, if you call it that. But... Um, everyone was just so wounded and everyone was a bit fed up and we're like, oh God, I don't know if I can put myself through this again. But he was like, he had to have so many conversations with so many different people. God love him. But um, yeah, it was just about getting the enjoyment back. I remember one of the first training sessions, people were bringing baby pictures and you were having a cup of tea and it was just like spending time with people and getting to enjoy yourself again. So bringing it back to the basics. Yeah, I think it's probably it's it's a good note to, to finish up on towards the end is around that that enjoyment factor and and doing things that you want to do and that you do enjoy doing. Um, I suppose leading into 2019 and and the year ahead, have you guys t taken some time over the last couple of weeks with a cup coffee and a notebook to think about the year ahead on an individual basis or what you're at or where you're going or were you too busy skiing down slopes? For me, anyway, my my notebook time has been postponed well slightly delayed just to skiing and then I was a bit sick when we came back as well so I haven't done it yet but it's in, it's on the it's on the radar to do but um yeah I do feel like at the start of the year it's good down to write down a few notes and what you want to achieve and then reflect on them then at the end of the year and see how you got on usually never achieved them but <laughs> hopefully this year yeah I suppose it's come around very fast but it's something that I'm trying to be better at doing is kind of taking stock and figure out kind of where I want to go um, and I think, but I think on an enjoyment of, f of football, kind of coming back into this year, kind of hungry to go again, is something that I think we probably all have, and it's something that's really, really important. Want to finish off there? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. I, like I, it was actually funny because we were skiing. I was on a chairlift going up with Sinead Goldrick and one of the girls, and we were just some gold riding came up, and actually a lot of us do actually write down goals for the start of the year. Um, so yeah, I, I actually haven't written, gotten to date written them yet, but um, so yeah, I'll do that when I go home now. I'll write my goals for the year. I'll follow up in a couple of weeks to see if he's done that. Listen, I know we're, we're tight for time. We're going to wrap up. Um, just before we wrap up, just thanks everyone for coming along. Thanks a million to the three guests here, Noel, Nicole, and Sinead. I think everyone will be in agreement that some serious insights, some inspiration, um, take a lot away from. I know I'll take a lot away from today's conversation. If anyone's interested, it'll be going up as a podcast later in the week on realtalks.ie. Um, but other than that, just give a round of applause for, for three brilliant guests. Thanks very much.